0: Well, today we conclude our three-part series that's been centered on the gospel. In the first part, we discussed knowing the gospel, knowing the gospel. In other words, what is the gospel? Well, the Greek word there, we translate gospel, means good news. And if you recall, I, I said that I would define the gospel this way. It's God's plan of salvation revealed through Scripture and accomplished by Jesus. The gospel was foretold in the Old Testament and was fulfilled by Jesus, by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. The gospel is essential. Understanding and embracing the gospel is how we become Christians. Our eternal destiny is is determined by what we do with the gospel. And when we believe the gospel, we receive eternal life, the forgiveness of sin and peace with God. Everything hinges on the gospel. Scripture gives no other means of salvation. It's not by church membership or baptism or confirmation or keeping the Ten Commandments or being a good person. It is by the gospel and the gospel alone. As I said when we were going through that message, there are four key elements when we're talking about the gospel. There is God, humanity, Christ, and our response. And that outline is a simple summary of Scripture and tells us how to become a Christian. That was the first week, knowing the gospel. Last time we talked about sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. God gives us both the duty and the delight in sharing the gospel to this world that desperately needs to hear about him. We're not to keep this good news to ourselves, right church? We are to share it. And so last week we talked about why we share the gospel as well as how we share the gospel. Now, when we share the gospel, people will often question it. Does that ever happen to you? It happens to me. People will have questions about what you're sharing with them and this is particularly common in our culture where we are inundated with the beliefs that truth is relative morality is relative that we're just the simple products of blind chance and that all religions are the same so when we share the gospel in this kind of a climate the gospel will be questioned. People will ask, why should we believe the gospel? And some will openly attack it. And so if you do enough evangelism, you will also inevitably do apologetics, which is the defense of the faith, where we, give, where we answer questions and give reasons for why we believe what we believe. Christians must be prepared to defend the gospel. And the church has been doing this for the last 2,000 years. When you look at the early chapters or just throughout the chapters of the book of Acts, we find the apostle Paul, it says that he would reason with people about the gospel. He would take the scriptures as his foundation and share that. But then he would also go to things like philosophy and experience and history to show that the gospel is true. It's not a myth. It's not just useful. It is useful. But the gospel is true. It is true. By true, I mean it, it corresponds with reality, it's real and it is accurate. That's what true means. We say that it's true that it's Sunday or the capital of Connecticut is Hartford. Those things are true. Likewise, Christianity is true. It is real. It is accurate. Christianity is not a truth or my truth, but it is the truth. Theologian N.T. Wright says the whole point of Christianity is that it offers a story which is the story of the whole world. It is public truth. I love the story that uh, was told one time. He was a famous philosophy professor at Princeton. His name was Diogenes Allen. One time someone came up to him and said, why should I go to church when I don't really have any real religious needs? And you know what he said to him? Because Christianity is true. In other words, you may not have any needs that you feel like you need to address, but it doesn't matter. It's true. So go to church because it's true. (laughs) And because the gospel is true and makes remarkable claims, we should give our lives to it. And when we do, it changes everything. Jesus said in John 8:32 You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've discussed knowing the gospel sharing the gospel. Today, I want to talk about defending the gospel. So this is what I, what I would say if I was talking to a friend at lunch. This is what I would say if I was invited to a college campus, okay? This is, this is what I would say. And to do so, I want to go back to the, to the gospel outline we had earlier about God and humanity in Christ. And I'm going to highlight an important part of each of those uh, points of the, of the outline. Creation, fall, and redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. These are key parts of the gospel. And they also connect with the common man on the street because people just have a, a natural view. We just naturally have some kind of view of where did we come from? What in the world is wrong with this world? And what's the hope? What's the solution for all of us? People just have some kind of thoughts. So this is a way to connect with them. And along the way, I want to contrast the gospel with other views so that you see how the gospel is indeed true and makes sense of our world. So let's start with creation. Creation. What Scripture says about creation is the truth. Scripture declares that there is one and only one God and that he created the the universe. Genesis 1-1 says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all things, all things. And what's fascinating is that the more science learns about the universe, the more that it shows the fingerprints of God all throughout it. We could easily point to many things that astound us. The beauty of a sunset, right? Right? the diversity of plants and animals with their colors and shapes, the the mystery of how this entire universe works together. Or we could look at the intricacy of a hummingbird, those little hummingbirds, and they're so amazing, the human eye or the DNA molecule. By the way, did you know that each cell of your body has a DNA molecule with 3 billion letters? A code, three billion letters long. If you read three letters for a, a, per second, it would take you 31, 31 years to read it. That's on each cell. How about this one? You have 100 trillion cells in your body. If you put all the DNA in your body end to end, it would stretch 110 you're expecting me to say feet long. No, not even close. 110 billion miles of DNA is packed into your body. So as I say, we can explore all those things that point to creation. But for the sake of making my case, I want to go big picture. Here are key, three key scientific evidences that point to creation, a creator God. First, the origin of the universe. It's very significant that the universe was created out of nothing. It had a beginning point. Interestingly, up until the last century, most scientists believed the universe was eternal, which would contradict the Bible. But in the last century, it's been clearly and decisively proven that the universe had a beginning point, a fixed point. Albert Einstein, the great scientist, he cringed at the idea of a creator God. He even tried to fudge his numbers because he knew where his Calculations were leading to his credit. He later acknowledged his misdeed. But just as Scripture teaches, the universe had a beginning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Second, the fine-tuning of the universe. This is incredible. The universe is remarkably calibrated for life. There, There are a great number of conditions that have to be just right for life even to exist at all. For example, there are four fundamental forces in the universe: gravity, electromagnetic, and the strong and weak nuclear forces. From the beginning of the universe, the universe, all of these forces had to be in place and calibrated just right. And so for example, with gravity, all right, there has to be gravity, but not just any old amount of gravity, it has to be the precise amount of gravity. You say, how precise? Well, they say if the gravity constant Varied by 1 and 10 to the 60th. Think of a number 10 with 60 zeros attached to it. Varied by one part, we would not not even exist. Imagine a dial that has that many increments... Again, 10 with 60 zeros attached. If it just was adjusted by one way one way or another, life would not exist at all. Because either the universe would expand too rapidly and no stars would form, or it would collapse in on itself. Church, that's just gravity. There's over 200 of these kind of parameters, and they all have to be present for life even to exist at all. The fine-tuning of the universe pretty astounding, wouldn't you say? The origin of life, profound mystery. You ever think about that? How does non-life make life? How do we get something alive like a plant, an animal, a human, or even just something as simple as a one-celled organism? Now, it was once thought that this would be kind of simple. You get the right gases and chemicals, you get some, you know, warm water, a bolt of lightning, and boom, life just, there it is. And we've heard that for many decades in science, in our culture. Remember the the famous Disney movie, Fantasia? They kind of depict that scene. And we've all sort of grown up with that. But here's the problem. The more we learn, we realize that that is most entirely false. Life did not begin this way. And the more we learn, the more we see that there's no way a natural explanation would work. Francis Crick, you might have heard that name before. He was the co-discoverer of the DNA molecule. Nobel Prize winner, he realized how improbable it was that DNA could have evolved by chance. In the book, Life Itself, Its Origin in Nature, he writes these words, quote, An honest man, armed with all the knowledge available to us now, could only state that in some sense, the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have had to be satisfied to get it going. Famous astronomer Fred Hoyle memorably said, The current scenario of the origin of life is about as likely as the assemblage of a 747 by a tornado whirling through a junkyard. Great image. So to recap here, okay? The universe began out of nothing, and it's finally tuned beyond comprehension. And you say, okay, so what does this show us about God? It shows us that God is personal. It shows us that God is transcendent. And it shows us that God is unbelievably powerful and wise. All of this is pointing to a creator, not away from a creator. You say, what about some of the other views of creation people might have on the street? Well, these pieces of evidence demolish atheism because it shows that the universe came from somewhere, or better said, someone. Some atheists can't accept these evidences, and so what they like to do is they like to say that all of this came from aliens, or that there's a multiverse, many not just one universe, but many universes out there. Well, the problem is there's no actual evidence for those beliefs. And even if there, and even those questions still just push aside, well, where did the aliens come from, right? Or where did the multiverse come from? And also these scientific evidences demolish Buddhism because it teaches that the universe is eternal and that this world, this entire world is an illusion. It does not exist. And that means that you don't exist. But in contrast, Scripture teaches the truth that our creator made the universe out of nothing. And he made it incredibly fine-tuned and glorious. Amen? So after discussing creation, let's keep on trucking ahead. Let's talk about the fall. As we said two weeks ago, Scripture teaches that humans are noble and they're fallen. We alone are made in God's image of all of creation. We're made to know Him. We have these incredible capacities as human beings. And God wanted a relationship with us, and He gave us the ability to choose it. But the first couple, Adam and Eve, we know what they did. They disobeyed God. They brought sin into this world, right? And as a result, we sin by nature. We come into the world this way. We have a bent toward pride and, and jealousy and anger and lust and greed and so forth. Jeremiah 17.9 is a verse that you don't find on many, you know, refrigerators in a Christian home, but it is the truth. It says, the, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's a telling example. That I find, I think this kind of makes the case. You ever think about the sin of gossip? Have you ever noticed that your heart gravitates towards gossip? You may not like gossip, you may not want to hear about gossip, but as soon as come, somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, did you hear what happened to so and so? There's something in us that says, Oh, yes, I really would like to know. It's because we're fallen. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. That's sad, isn't it? No matter how much we like that person, no matter how much we don't, we're not even interested, no matter how twisted it might be, there's something in us that wants to hear that. We're sinners by nature. We also make the choice to sin. Have you ever noticed that we do things that we should not do and we don't do things that we should do? all the time. So we're noble and fallen. Scripture gives a very sober assessment of humanity, but it's very accurate. We're alienated from God and from each other, and our world is broken, isn't it? Look all around us. We have a broken world, and we cannot solve this problem ourselves, can we? We like to look at other things and say that will be the solution education, technology, money, whatever it might be. But it doesn't work. The last century, the world experienced more education and technology and money than ever before in world history. And what do we have to show for it? Two world wars, genocides around our world, and constant strife throughout this whole time. What scripture says about the fall is the truth. It is real and is accurate. We say, well, what about other views about our problem? They all say the same thing, right? No, they don't. Interestingly, Some views can't even explain good and evil, because in in order to even have good and evil, what do you need in the first place? You need a personal God who is good, who defines good and evil. Otherwise, all that you are left with is a matter of preferences. And so an atheist comes along, and he recognizes good and evil, but he can't say anything is good and evil because he doesn't have an objective basis for it. Likewise, the same holds for Buddhism, since ultimately there is no distinction between good and evil. All is one. It's unlivable. Now, Islam borrows from the Bible, so it does affirm a creator and a distinction between good and evil, but it denies that we have a fallen nature. Their view doesn't explain why, in this world, why there is so much sin When I was at seminary, I worked as a security guard. And it was a great job for a seminary student because it was so boring. (laughs) I mean, you're just sitting in a warehouse, empty warehouse, or a guard shack all the time. So it gave you an opportunity to study. It was a great job. I had a lot of interesting co-workers. One of the guys that I worked with just for a few times uh, was a Muslim gentleman. And we had some lively conversations, to say the least. And I brought up the, this fact to him about how they deny hu- or the fall of humanity and challenged him to go one day without sin. I mean, if we don't have a fallen nature, then what's the big deal? Why can't we do this? Well, <laughs> I pinned him on that point. Because you can't. Our sinfulness shows that Islam is false about a key point in understanding ourselves. Scripture, though, makes sense of the world with its key point about the fall of humanity. In light of our problem, what can be the solution? Well, Scripture declares that we need redemption. We need redemption, don't we? We need our sin forgiven in such a way that the justice of God is upheld. And yet the love of God is offered to humanity. And so when you open the pages of Scripture, you just see from the beginning how God offers redemption for his people all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And then we also see these hints in the Old Testament that there's coming a greater and final redemption. And God himself is going to bring it about by the death of the Messiah. And this is exactly where Jesus steps in. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who's fully God and fully man, comes onto this scene. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus lived that sinless life that you and I do not live, right? And he did these miracles that none of us do, and he died on the cross and laid down his life for you and I. And then he rose from the dead to show that death was not victorious, but that he was victorious. So when I say, well, how do you know that's true? Well, you could point to the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus hundreds of years in advance. But you know what? I would go right to the resurrection because the resurrection is the centerpiece of Jesus' ministry and his teachings. And what's amazing about Jesus' resurrection is that there are just certain facts there that you can't deny. There was an empty tomb. No one can deny that. You can't deny that the disciples went from a group of cowards to bold proclaimers who changed the world. I believe God orchestrated all these events so that no other explanation makes sense at all. Probably the best other explanation that skeptics try to say is that the disciples stole the body. Really. Roman guards were posted at the tomb. It, 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 they could lose their lives if a body was stolen away. And they sealed the tomb with this enormous stone. They slept through this stone getting rolled away and the disciples overpowered them. Hard to believe. And to top it off, you have to believe that the disciples kept us a secret for decades, and were willing to die for a known lie. People sometimes will be willing to die for what they think is the truth, but no one dies for a known lie. So the best explanation for all these facts is that Jesus' resurrection is true. He rose again. That changes everything. There is no other person like him. All other religious leaders died, and that was it. You can go and visit their graves, but you can't visit the grave of Jesus because he rose again. And his message is entirely different. Look at the the messages of other religious leaders. Like, say, Muhammad, it's about human effort. But Jesus is about the grace of God. God does the saving. We don't save ourselves. It's about simply receiving his grace. Let me close by pointing out the incredible hope that Christianity offers. It's good to put in these facts and evidences, but we also need to speak to people's hearts. Amen? Amen. And there is such hope in the message of the gospel. And the biblical view that we talked about just a few weeks ago in Revelation is just absolutely stunning. I love it. We're going to enjoy these resurrection bodies. that They never age. They never grow sick. They never die. We're never going to sin anymore. We're never going to see the evils of the world that we constantly see. The greed and the pride and the murders and everything else that is a constant fixture of this world. It's all going to be gone. We're going to be enjoying a new creation that will be similar to our present creation with nature and and animals and stuff, but it's going to even exceed that. There's going to be culture. There's going to be uh, just the, the incredible things that humanity is able to do. There's going to be diversity from all over the world. And most of all, we're going to enjoy the presence of God. Wow. Wow. So what do other views say? Well, if you're an atheist... What is their view of the afterlife? There is no afterlife. You die and that's it. And this universe is going to pass away one day in the future. How dark and hopeless. If you're a Buddhist, you're absorbed into the impersonal spirit, the goal they call nirvana. You won't continue to exist as a personal being because you were never a personal being in the first place. On and on it goes, but the Bible tells a magnificent ending. Now, a skeptic might come along and say, you know, this sounds too good to be true. It's all made up. Well, I would say the ending matches an infinitely good God, amen, Amen. and who has given us abundant reasons to believe that this ending will be true. So, friend, let me encourage you, if you have never received the gospel in your life, never embraced this incredible message, let me encourage you to what the Bible says to do, to repent of sin and to believe in Christ. You say, what does repent mean? It means turning from living as if you were the final authority and to live under the authority of God and to believe in Christ, to believe what we've said about him, that he is God in human flesh that he rose again and he died for your sins so that you could have eternal life. So for Christians, let me encourage you to affirm deeply what we have heard here today. I strongly believe that the degree to which you embrace the gospel as the truth, not just as useful for your life, but as the truth, is the degree to which you will act on behalf of the Lord. In other words, if you're convinced that the gospel is true, then you're going to have a wholehearted commitment to it. Amen? And we also encourage you to grow in defending the gospel. You don't have to be brilliant or eloquent or articulate. You just need a heart that wants people to that, that wants to help others see that the gospel is true. The goal is not to win arguments, but to remove obstacles so that people will believe in Christ. 1 Peter 3:15 says, "In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy." Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And as we do defend the gospel, it can make an eternal difference in people's lives. One person who does a great job of defending the gospel is is William Lane Craig. I, I don't agree with everything he says, he speaks about a lot of different things. I don't agree with everything, but He defends wonderfully the existence of God and Jesus' resurrection. And on his website, he has a a testimonies page, and it just goes on and on. And I just went through it yesterday. I think there was 365 testimonies of people who have been impacted by his his ministry just writing there on his website. And I want to read uh, about a man named Jared, what he wrote, so that you're encouraged about the difference you can make in somebody's life. After thanking him for his work, Jared writes quote, "It was May of 2018, and I was lying on my floor crying because I was so despondent. Even showering and brushing my teeth became close to impossible to me. I was completely dead spiritually, and I was ready to end my life." I was an atheist for as long as I can remember, and that night was the first time in my life I sincerely asked God to show me that he's real and to help me because I ran out of all my will to live. When I asked, I had a thought powerfully come to me, and it was, quote, I have all these reasons why I don't believe in God, and I need to hear a debate between a Christian and atheist. I need to listen with an open mind and see which position makes the most sense. I went to YouTube, and one of your debates popped up, and as I was listening, I was shook." I realized that God really does exist and that the atheistic worldview was foolishness. It's a moment I'll always remember. I've heard many Christians say that nobody has ever been converted because of apologist arguments, but I am living proof that this isn't true. I'm forever grateful for the way you defend the faith. So church, may God stir our hearts to defend the gospel so that others believe the gospel. Amen? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given us reasons to believe. Thank you for the life transformation it brings into us. We thank you for this world that matches what we see in your word. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us as we make efforts to equip ourselves, whether it's Books or resources or podcasts or YouTube videos and so forth, Lord. Help us to help others embrace the truth of your word. And Lord, this morning we pray for someone here today who's never placed their faith and trust in you. Help them to see that the head and the heart can line up perfectly under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may you bring new life today as people embrace your Son, Jesus Christ, as their personal Lord and Savior. And we ask all of that in His matchless name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Amen.